We think that a lot of people are going to become renters in the near future, and that won't change. I get it. The Toronto real estate market is confusing. Whether you're a new or experienced investor or just looking for a home to raise your family in, join us at Broadview Table Talks as you sit around the table with my friends and talk about the real estate and the ever-changing market in Toronto. All right, guys, welcome to another edition of Broadview Table Talks. Today, we've got some grim news, right, Michael? Pretty grim. All right, what is it? We think that a lot of people are going to become renters in the near future, and that won't change. It's a nation of declining home ownership, and it's just the way it is. So, um, you know, we're looking at some stats here. We're looking at the, in Ontario, the rate of home ownership in 2021 was 68.4%, and that fell 3.1%. From uh, 2011, so 10 years ago, it was at 71.4%. Mm-hmm. Then on, t- on top of that, Toronto, right? The percent of renter households from the same time frame uh, went up by 25%, 25.1%. It's all stats scan data, right? Yeah. So you can see that there's less and less homeowners and more and more renters. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Well, I mean, a lot of people blame things on immigration, on uh you know, kids moving out, shifting demographics, you know, you've had the baby boomers and the millennials are moving out. Um, Gen Z is moving out and a lot of them can't afford it. Affordability is a big factor that we keep hearing about and we keep talking about. Right. Cause uh, interest rates, you know, whether it's the, the price of the real estate itself, now that it's shrinking a little bit, mm-hmm. the carrying costs went up. Right. So it's still going to hurt either way. Yeah. Own. Like uh, prices shrinking by 15, 20% with the latest interest rate hikes. But from 2011, they went from a policy rate of 1% to now four and a half percent. So it's more than doubled That's the, right. co- the, the actual cost of purchasing a property. Not to mention, you also have to put more down as well. So unless you're buying in cash, mm-hmm. you know, and if, if you need a mortgage, the cost of actual monthly payments are going to be like double pretty yeah. much. Right. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. I mean, it's hard to compare from the time when we had the historical low interest rates. But in the past, even before that, for the past 20 years, they've been lower than the actual rate of growth. Yeah. Right. So the real um, interest rates were actually negative. Right. If you think about it. Yeah. So now that that party's come to a stop and here we are. And on top of that, immigration. Right. We're seeing half a million immigration targets, 500,000 to Canada. And typically we get about a third of them in Ontario. Yeah. Anywhere from 165 to 175,000 people. Right. But that doesn't even count for... The, all the other stuff, like the refugee, Ukraine, you know, a whole mm-hmm. bunch of other stuff that's going on right now in the world. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I heard Benjamin Tall, the economist at CBC, say that it was a million people, close to a million people that mm-hmm. come into Canada, that are coming to Canada right now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, these people, and he says in, famously in that uh, speech that they don't come with housing on the back. They don't, they don't come with housing. In other words, they're, they're, they need housing. Yeah, they need existing stock. Right. Or they need new stock, whatever that's here when they land. Which we don't have. Which we don't have. And the crazy thing is, you know, for 2022, we've only had just over 45,000 housing starts, like new housing starts to add to our existing inventory. Right. There's no way we can meet demand of anywhere from 500 to a million. Yeah. So assuming all the housing's used, you're saying 45,000 in Ontario, but yet we get, mm-hmm. you know, close to 200,000 people, hundred anywhere from, historically the number was 100,000. I think this year they said it was 175,000 coming into Ontario. Yeah. But there's only 45,000 being built. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you say two people per household, 2.5, whatever it is. That's still not enough. It's still not enough. Not close enough. And not to mention the new policy allowing people to start building accessory dwelling units on their existing homes that adds three, let's say, three uh, extra homes to each piece of land. Mm. That's still not enough. Right. Because if you actually broke down the math, we need over 18,000 plots of land to actually build three uh, dwellings on it. And how many people are actually going to do that? 
you know, not that many, yeah. right? Which is, whether it's the cost of it and whether they don't, you know, maybe some people don't want, um, you know, other people living on their property, right? No, yeah, they for sure. A young family or whatever. They don't want kind of strangers there. Yeah. And it just kind of gets really tight and they don't want to live in a dense urban environment. And second of all, that's only in Toronto right now. Yeah. I mean, there's other places, uh, municipalities in Ontario that are allowing, um, you know, accessory dwelling units and multiple units per, per plot. But like, mm-hmm. it's mainly in Toronto. Yeah. So... I don't know. That's going to be a big uh, issue as well, too. All right. So now we know that more and more renters, less homes available, less people buying homes. Yeah. What about institutional capital? There's institutional capital coming in to to buy homes, right? Yeah. Like we're seeing a whole bunch of these uh, big hedge funds buying up properties mm-hmm. and renting them out on an institutional level. Yeah. But then I don't know. I like that's not home ownership. <laughs> you know, that's more for renters, right? At the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. And it alludes back to our previous point or our first point, which is a lot of people have to embrace a future of rentals. Right. Because if you look at, you know, we're looking at a, a list of Wikipedia um, here, you can search it up. But um, it says the home ownership rate in, um, if you scroll to the bottom, you get the lowest at, with Fiji at 10% and Hong Kong at 22%, which is kind of. You know, expected, right? UK at 63% as well, too. Um, but we're at 68% as of 2018. Actually, it's 2020, 2021, it said. Sorry. 2021 was 68.4%. Mm-hmm. So, um, what does that mean? What does that mean? So, I guess we have to embrace rental. You know, like, no more of that, that, that big dream of owning homes, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's part of life, right? And there's a lot of benefits of renting, you know? Yeah, there is. It gives you a certain degree of flexibility, you know, and there's certainly a little bit less uh, stress of having to fix things because you know that if it doesn't, there is no one else that you can count on to fix it. What's a plus and pro and con, right? Like, I want to be able to improve my home, you know, and not have to improve somebody else's home. True. But you're right. You're like, it's, it's somebody else's fault at the end of the day. It's somebody else's responsibility. Yeah. But I think that there's more benefits to that. So say you have a growing family or even a shrinking family for that matter. It's so easy to just... Really, it's the cost of a move, which is not fun. Don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. if you ever needed that extra bedroom, it's so easy just to, you know, give your last month's rent or whatever or your, mm-hmm. your 60 days notice and first and last month's rent for the new place and just mm-hmm. move. And in hindsight, you know, when we had to upsize our home based on today's cost in this environment, mm-hmm. it's almost better to rent. It's like cheaper to rent right now. Especially in the market that's transitioning. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I could have had all that capital back. I didn't have to sink it into a home, mm-hmm. which would have been awesome. So it's just kind of like I, I just... I don't find anything wrong with renting. Like I almost wish I rented instead, mm-hmm. you know, um, and just rented it on my place. Right. So it kind of just nets itself off. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the long run, I'm sure it'll make sense. Um, so now that it's getting really unaffordable, what are some solutions that we're seeing in terms of making affordability, making places a little more affordable? So we saw that they were actually making it cheaper for uh, developers to actually start developing properties because mm-hmm. we saw that they decreased how many housing starts there were from uh, slowing um, pre-construction sales. Mm-hmm. Sales are down by like 60% right now, right? So yeah. pre-construction sales. We saw that they also started allowing people building uh, to build accessory dwelling units, which great news. Um, we also saw that they were going to actually um, incentivize more institutional um, corporate landlords mm-hmm. to actually come into Toronto. Really? Yeah. We have uh, places like BlackRock and everything that's actually coming Not in and buying them. I feel like there's some tax incentives. 
Uh, okay, well, I don't know about that. But anyway. We'll have to look at it. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I, I, like, the thing is, I guess another way they could say that is for new construction sales. For those of you guys that want to be landlords, uh, the new construction price, like end price of a unit, is still relatively the same as a resale, right? Like, it's yep. not that much different. The only thing that different that really is different is the price per square foot. So, obviously, the uh, price per square foot is going higher, mm-hmm. which means that the end unit sizes are shrinking, and these end units are shrinking about, you know, they said about somewhere like 25% over the past 10 years. Um, that's not that bad if you consider that some of these units are a little more efficient, mm-hmm. right? So if you've ever shown homes, as you know, um, when you go into places, we used to see the 30-inch fridges and ranges, you know, stoves as uh, as a standard. Yeah. And now they're all shrinking down to 24 inches. Yeah. Right. Um, and I guess it's not a bad thing because realistically in the city of Toronto, you can just go straight downstairs and like the food's right there is Uber Eats and skip the dishes and all those kind of like apps that you can order food from. Yeah. You can and walk anywhere in the city and get food. Right. If you're a single person or even a couple, whatever, no kids and it's easy, you know, small family, mm-hmm. then it's so easy to do that. Just like how we, you know, we do in Hong Kong, right? For example. Yeah, for sure. Go downstairs and then, and even in New York where they have like laundry service where they bring it to your door, which is pretty cool yeah. too. You can also so, feed yourself from a bodega as well when right, you're in right, New York City. Right, because they actually had the population to do that, right? Yeah. So I find that we're doing that here. When I was living in the distillery like 15 years ago, I found there was like nothing there mm-hmm. to eat. There still kind of is really nothing there, but like to walk to. But like, um, it, it, like I guess you could, there's still places to go. Yeah, yeah. You won't You won't starve in the city. Yeah. Well, I mean, I lived in a place when I was in university and I walked to Chinatown mm, nice. at all times of the day. Nice. <laughs> Nice. So, I mean, yeah, like it's, it's becoming more and more convenient where you actually really don't need the, the kitchen. But if you have a large family, then what do you do, right? Like, yeah. You know, so I guess you're not the, you're not living in condos. I guess you're living further out in the suburbs. Which is also possible. I mean, there are condos in the suburbs as well. I mean. In the city or in the suburbs. Sorry, in the suburbs, but also in like the, the more uh, family-oriented neighborhoods near the city, near public transit. Right. And a popular example that I can think of are buildings like 245 Davisville or 300 Beloyal. In, suburbs, um, I mean, it's surrounded by houses. <laughs> That's like a great, yeah. great schools. Well, yes, it's more affordable to be in a condo in like anywhere you go compared to a house, mm-hmm. really, generally, right? Because yeah. the square footage would be smaller. And some of your amenities that you would need to have in your house mm-hmm. are in the common areas you're sharing with other people in other mm-hmm. ones, right? Exactly. Like, um, you know, lockers and whatever, like pools and things like that, like gyms. Yeah. Right? You don't need to have a, a room dedicated to a gym or a basement dedicated to a gym. You have a dedicated shared space or yeah. library or, or co-working space or whatever yeah. you call it right so i truly loved condo living back then <laughs> i did i really yeah, honestly, yeah. yeah i miss condo I, living too yeah it's so easy like it, it was nice and now everything yeah sure it's inside the house and we need the space because kids are running around stuff but like what's to say that they can't run around in the kids areas because now the new condos have kids playrooms which is pretty cool yep and actually, that's one of the big things that they're doing in Hong Kong as well, because there is actually a large population of people that are having kids mm. that need the space to play. So um, about 10 years ago, when we were looking at brand new condos, they're actually implementing large children play areas plus music centers, complete with piano and musical instruments for in kids to do all their lessons in Hong Kong. That's awesome. And that's just something that we don't we don't really see much of here. So you have like a music instructor come in and teach and whatever, right? And they use the instruments that are part of the amenities. I remember my uncle's Hong, uh, condo in Hong Kong. He had, um, they had a karaoke room. Which I know there's one condo down here that has that as well too, <laughs> right? But they also had a, um, a play center where they had these little go-kart tracks and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like they call them uh, little play areas, area. I think. 
It's called Clubhouse in Hong Kong. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a clubhouse because it's it's not just like an amenity space. It's like an actual recreational space that's shared among like eight different buildings. Right, but still part of the same complex. Still part of the same complex, so yeah. A and it's private right. to those eight buildings on a large scale. Right. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like you can have like a classroom of kids yeah. living in a building versus like being isolated in a single family home somewhere just deep far in the suburbs. Yeah. I kind of like the dense, you know, living. I like living yeah. in the community. It's more of a community feel. It is. And it's like you're surrounded by the same people, like-minded people who want to live in the same area, same neighborhood. And you're really just growing vertically rather than, you know, across uh, different parts of parcels of land all mm-hmm. around each other. Mm-hmm. It's a different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a good point. Like you don't have to be out in the suburbs to raise a family. You can de- definitely do it in the condos downtown. It's just the price per square foot is going to be higher. Yes. So that means you're going to get a smaller space. But on yeah. the other hand, you have all the amenities space, which is pretty cool. And I know several families that are raising kids downtown, mm-hmm. which is really awesome. Um, just the schooling kind of sucks here. I wish we were in so many crackheads. That's the only problem. Well, we talk about densification a lot, and I think that's sort of a problem that will sort of ease itself as more people come downtown and decide to do something about it. I'm not too worried about that. The real problem is that I think we need to have some sort of system in place that actually incentivizes builders to build these structures and these these systems in place for people to actually come and actually it's take these small units, you're right? Smaller units, but have it functional in a way where there are things for people to do that are not just tied to their unit. Right. So one of the big things that you saw recently was probably the development in City Place where they actually built a brand new school. Right. Oh, which that was, cool. was years cool. in the coming. That's cool. But they finally did it and it was great. That's cool. Or even the the swing pool in Regent Park. And they demolished a bunch of homes, built a bunch of condos, and not a lot of people moved in there. But now there are a lot of families that actually go and use a swimming pool, mm-hmm. which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, you look at New York and stuff like that, Manhattan, people mm-hmm. living there, right? You know, yeah, you got to be a little bit more wealthier to be in there, right? Yes. But, like, right now in Toronto, I think it's it's definitely way cheaper to rent than it is to own Yeah. right now in the short run, Yeah. right? You're not building equity, sure, but you can always build equity in other ways, you know, and if you reinvest the money that mm-hmm. you would have spent or the capital that you would have needed for a down payment mm-hmm. and reinvest it somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know, you could potentially make just as much or even, even in real estate, if you invested in real estate mm-hmm. and you rented where you live and live where you rent kind of thing, yeah. then, um, yeah, that would work. Yeah, that as long as your money is doing something, it's not just sitting in the savings account. Right, or blowing it away on, on shopping and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So, um, all right, well, at the end of the day, like, I, I think there's nothing wrong as we become more renters, you know, and if you're fortunate enough to have the capital or to, you know, to be able to re- refinance and buy another property or spread it out, that's not bad too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, or if it's your primary residence, there's nothing wrong with selling and just renting, mm-hmm. you know, just selling, taking that capital, reinvesting somewhere else or reinvesting in real estate or a fund or something you can easily get in and out of. Because mm-hmm. right now I find it really hard to deal with, um, you know, to be straight up, tenants. Like it's hard to deal with tenants sometimes because, you know, as much as I have great relationships with them, it just, it's happening to me right now. There's a tenant that's not paying rent, which mm-hmm. kind of sucks. And um, it's, it's just what it is, right? Like, whereas if you put into a fund, let somebody professionally manage it, mm-hmm. you can just exit that fund if you really need to. If it's not doing too well. Yeah. You know, on one hand, there's no leverage of, of not buying real estate, but right now we're getting all time highs for these bond yields, you know, just very secure assets, Yeah. you know, in the GICs and things like that. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a good way, good strategy as well too, while yeah. we're at all time highs. Yeah. It's a good way to sort of tide yourself over until a little bit more balance is achieved. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate that 
people are becoming, you know, our nation is becoming more of a rental population, but that's probably the, you know, it's what is going to happen with, how do I say this? As our economy and our nation and our, our population becomes more advanced, our civilization, I guess, it mm-hmm. becomes more of a first world, well, like we are a first world country, but like, you know, if you look at the people on the, the list of the um, higher, low, sorry, higher ownership percentages, mm-hmm. they're all like developing nations. Except for Singapore. What was Singapore's? Singapore is, I believe it's 80%. Okay. So why is that? You used to, did you used to live there? No, I never, lived, lived, in, there. I never, never lived in Singapore. Um, 87.9%. Okay. Um, I just happen to know about, or I have heard about their system where they have uh, government subsidized housing called HDB flats. Right. But it's, a, it's essentially a non-profit or whatever profit that they do have, they put back towards the company and they grow more housing starts. Um, but they also help finance um, ownership for the population. So there are options to lease, but generally they make it more affordable for people to actually finance and own, to own. So it's kind of like subsidized housing. Would you know that? Like, is it like a class difference? Like, would you say like, oh, that guy's from subsidized housing or something? You know, I mean, yeah, it, it is a class. There is a class difference between the ultra wealthy, but a majority of Singaporeans do live in HDB flats. So, in those HDB flats, would you be embarrassed to say, like, you know, what I mean, is it like one of those, or is it kind of that? Well, that's a good question. I think we should interview a Singaporean about that. Yeah, if anybody knows, let us know, please. Yeah. If there's a Singaporean watching our channel or listening to our podcast, like, we'd love to ask you a couple questions. <laughs> okay, but anyway, it, it, like in in today's high interest rate environment and high caring cost environment, I kind of want to be a renter right now. Yeah, I really truly do. I would think about selling everything and just <laughs> renting. You know, have that lifestyle just. Have something that just perpetuates and just gives me an income and just live off that income. Like, why not? Right? Yeah, every time I see Bank of Canada in the news, I'm kind of worried. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's just, and it's not even that, like, even if you are on a fixed mortgage, you still got a five-year renewal. Like, you still have to renew every five years yeah. or whatever you're locked in your mortgage for. Yeah. So it's it's just better almost to, to rent, I think. For but now. For now. For now. For now. I mean, yeah. sure, there's, you don't have the control of, like, especially if it's after 2018, you don't have the rental, rent control mm-hmm. stuff, you know, um, you don't have your landlord trying to, like an individual landlord who doesn't play by the rules, or doesn't know the rules, yeah. and a very inefficient landlord tenant board yeah. trying to police everything. Yeah. It's just, yeah, for sure, it's better to have control of your own destiny as opposed to, like, you know, your security of your tenancy, I guess you could say. Absolutely. But this is a problem that needs to be dealt with from a policy perspective, as well as like a population perspective. They just need more staff at the landlord tenant board, you know? The rules are actually pretty <laughs> fair. I actually don't mind the rules. It's just that they need to be able to hear these cases. Uh, yeah, an eight-month backlog is excessive. It's not It's not cool. Yeah. It's not cool. I don't know. Anyway, a lot of problems in the world. Housing is one of them that we're focusing on. I don't have a solution for this. You can choose your side, whether you want to be an owner or renter. Um, some people don't have the fortunate option to be able to pick either side Mm -hmm. but it's not bad grass is always greener there are pros and cons pros and cons all right so anyway um i don't know hopefully you didn't sound like an a-hole but (laughs) if you have any questions (laughs) there's a links in below we'd happy to we'd be happy to chat with you one-on-one and uh help you on your real estate investing journey talk to you soon add it up